0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome into The Scoop. I'm your host, Ross Martin, joined by Don, Don Scoops Callahan. This is The Scoop brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. This is The Scoop. I'm your host, Ross Martin, joined by Don Callahan. We're brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. We have a huge show. It's probably the biggest show we've ever had. Um, I mean, probably one of the greatest podcasts we've ever had. Um, we've got Don here uh, in the Nike shirt. It's April 20th. Happy holidays, Don. Um, Happy holidays. holidays. Are you celebrating today? I'm not. Don't celebrate that. Don't condone it. Uh, but respect it. Um Okay, let's get into it. Here's what we're going to talk about, Don. Ready? We're going to get into the status and the state of UNC 2023 recruiting. You released your mock class, your first mock class, on Tuesday, um, and you know maybe not, the best, maybe not the best class out there, but we're going to look get to that a little bit. But overall, kind of give a view of uh, kind of where UNC stands in recruiting for this cycle. It's been a while since we've done a podcast. We had March Madness. But uh, it, it times out well with the mock class you released. That's for premium inside Carolina subscribers. We're then uh, going to talk about some of Mac's comments about that kind of 2020 recruiting. And that will lead nicely into um, our interview with Patrick Suttis, UNC's um, general manager, you know, kind of the, the roster guy for UNC. A new hire came to UNC in February. She's really been on the job for a couple months now we interviewed him spoke about 25 minutes with patrick Suttis. Um, and after that we'll wrap it up with some spring football talk uh we had interviews with mac brown gene chizik and phil longo on tuesday from the team side of things and so don's gonna kind of you know we'll talk about a little bit of the team stuff as we head out of the spring into the off season and um maybe some additional kind of status of uh of each other in our lives as we as we reconvene for this podcast don thoughts how are we feeling I, I'm feeling good. We,
2: As you mentioned, we haven't done a podcast in a long time. When I was at the the, sp- the spring game, kind of walking amongst the crowd, that was the topic of conversation. When are we going to do another Scoop podcast? So I'm glad to be here. I definitely have some questions for you later on in the podcast. And uh, yeah, so let's just get rolling.
1: Great. And the interview with Patrick Suttis, Pat Suttis is, is great. So definitely stay on for that um, as we dive here into the 2023 class. All right, Don. UNC's 2023 class, they have one commitment right now. Here, as we sit on April 20th, that is Tad Hudson, the quarterback out of the Charlotte area. Now, you know, at this time last year, I did the math. I looked at last year's class. Um, in the 2022 class, at this point in April, UNC only had four commitments. So it's not like they're super far behind. Malachi Hammer committed, uh, Trevion Green, Teon Holloway, and Tyshawn Chapman. Um, they committed a long time ago, those last two. Um, so, you know, look at UNC is not necessarily far behind in terms of commitments, but there is a lack of momentum, um, a lack of big names, a lack of traction with any of the top, top targets. Um, and so I just want to get your take initially, and we'll go from there.
2: Yeah, so we, we talked about this a little bit with with Suttis, and he has some good uh, insight into it. But I think what is happening, and this would be nice if this is – what consistently happens um, is that it, it seems like the cycle is starting to kind of fall into this, um, I guess, schedule of the from January until May. Just a bunch of just visits, unofficial, mostly unofficial, some unofficial visits for recruits and recruits are, are keeping an open mind about who they're interested in until they take a bunch of visits. Obviously, there are a ton of exceptions to this. So so I don't want in the comments, you know, bringing up uh, Michael Dougherty committing and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm just talking in general because I'm trying to to pigeonhole like thousands and thousands of recruits. But in general, a bunch of recruits are taking a bunch of visits in the spring, narrowing things down and then purposely waiting until June to take official visits. You probably see a couple of official visits towards the end of May just because there's only four weekends in June and you obviously get five official visits it makes it a little bit easier if you can take those officials on the weekend and then sometime during the summer making a verbal commitment so with that UNC is going to see a lot of activity from the commitment standpoint mostly in June uh, whereas the spring is just kind of more for just getting guys on campus and instead has touched on that you know it's for for them, the way that they judge it is, they want to get guys on campus, and that's what they've been able to do during the spring.
1: Yeah, and, and Suddis and Mac Brown yesterday both um, were optimistic, and obviously they're going to be. Yeah, um, but um, they feel they're in a pretty good place with some of their some of the names they're targeting, and they're getting a lot of visits um, over the spring from basketball season, and we'll have more and more as we enter April, May, and June. Um, Two other notes, UNC last year had four players commit in June, and they had four more commit in July. And remember, you know, that was still kind of COVID in terms of visits and people, you know, there was a different type of evaluation, different type of visit schedule in terms of coaches visiting schools. I don't even remember just what happened, but – and players visiting schools. So it was just different in terms of how the recruiting calendar went. We're, we're now at a point where things are back to normal. Coaches are going to be out on the road in a week. I believe for their spring evaluation trips, I guess two or three weeks they can visit schools and stuff. So you'll see some momentum with more offers then. um, And maybe some more traction with some recruits. And of course the the visits that happen May and June as, as kids finish school. Um, So wait, I mean, you're my class, you know, it's not super impressive in terms of where it would rank. I didn't recognize a lot of names and I I haven't dove too deep into the 22 class, but I remember when we named you named the what twenty most wanted, ten most wanted. Yeah, I and mean, there weren't many names from that that were on your mock class.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's there's not a, there's not a whole lot of momentum. And I think you you mentioned that earlier. Right now, you know, it's you know UNC's coming off a awful ball game, a disappointing season, and um, and then in addition to that, in state the talent is not is not as deep as it has, it has been. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we're used to what was it two classes ago was a historic year in the state of North Carolina. There's been a drop ever since then last year, it wasn't such a big deal because North Carolina was able to go into Virginia and find a lot of success, particularly in the Tidewater area. Although you know, they got Andre Green out of Richmond and then, uh, Zach Rice, um, out of, I guess that's central West, uh, uh Virginia. Yeah. Lynchburg. We- but, um, all those guys are sort of connected in a way. Um, this year, Virginia is not nearly as strong as it was last year, particularly the Tidewater area. The UNC is recruiting basically two guys, you know, has offered and, and, and uh, high, um, highly recruiting two guys out of that Tidewater area. And neither one of them are national recruits like um, George Petaway was or like Tyon uh, Holloway was. So there's not a whole lot of, you know, excitement. You know, it's not as much of a big deal when Paul Billups, for example, comes and visits North Carolina, as it was every time George Petaway m- made a visit, it was huge. Every time Zach Rice made a visit, it was huge. So that's kind of what the situation is. And North Carolina is being forced to jump into Georgia and Florida to recruit, cr- recruit those guys. And that takes some time, you know, because UNC is further away. You got to get those guys on campus. They're not as familiar with the program. They haven't been visiting it since their freshman year. So it takes a little bit of time to, to establish you have some, some uh, footing with those guys, and you have all the turnover on the defensive side of the ball, the turnover on the offensive line. Really, if you're looking at this class, and my mock class kind of shows it, the offensive line and uh, the secondary, if you take those two positions, I have 10 guys projected to be signed total between those two. That's, that's almost half the class, and those two position groups have underwent very important position coach changes, so it's, it's going to take some time. And, and we've seen with office of line, for example, there's some guys in North Carolina was recruiting in January that they're no longer recruiting. They offered and recruiting in January, no longer recruiting because just a different philosophy. Coach Bicknell's going to like uh, prospects, uh, different prospects than what Coach Cheryl's did. And uh, you know, in the same sort of situation played out, maybe not to the exact extent at, at the at the DB position too.
1: Yeah. With, with Gene Chizik and, and coach and Warren coming on the defensive side of the ball. That is a great point. Okay. So is there any names that you, you think UNC is really getting traction with that we should expect a commitment from anytime soon? Is there, is there anybody you can say that you think UNC is really leading with and there's momentum towards the commitment soon or, or anytime, so or anytime, or is it just the, the, wait till the, June?
2: The late, well, I think wait till June is, is the short answer, but the okay. layup answer there is DJ Geith, who, uh, his dad played in North Carolina. He was ex- incredibly excited when UNC offered. Uh, I was, I was, I've been texting with him, and then when they offered, and I texted with him that night that they offered, I was like, hey, because it was like he tweeted it out. It was, it was fairly late because I think he didn't get the offer until after his track meet. And so it was later in the day. And I was like, hey, I know it's late. Love to talk to you, do an interview about this offer. We wait till tomorrow if it's too late. And he was like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's do this now. So he was super excited when we got on the phone and everything like that. So obviously North Carolina is a great spot with him. But even with him, he wants to take his visits. You know, he gets an offer from North Carolina a week ago and this past weekend he was visiting South Carolina. And, um, you know, Clemson's showing some interest. So I think he's going to explore those opportunities like everybody else. So I really, it would not shock me if we don't see another commitment until June now, could there be someone who pops unexpectedly? Yeah, this is recruiting. You got to expect the unexpected, but I expect, you know, most of the move, I expect, you know, all the movement basically to be this summer.
1: Yeah. And even Max, Max was like, man, I I like to have these commitments in by February. So he is kind of like antsy about getting some guys in because he likes to have it all set and be able to focus on the season um and move on to the next class by the time you know the the 2022 season starts so it, it's certainly something to track and watch and it seems like well i actually
2: think it's probably better that's going slower one of the knocks with mac when he was at texas was that he was taking commits so early that he was missing out on guys who developed later mm-hmm. and you know some kind of pointed to that as his demise at, at texas so it's probably working out a little bit better for, for Max so that he can actually, you know, his board can settle down a little bit more before he's, he's, uh, collecting commitments and he's basically collecting commitments with, with the crowd right now.
1: There you go. Yeah. You're, you're not holding back on some takes, uh, some takes <laughs> today, Don.
2: I think that was my only take <laughs> only hot take.
1: Yeah. Okay. We good there. Anything else? No. I mean, do you have any
2: more questions? I mean, was there I, anyone, all right, how about this? Was there anyone on my uh, on there that your surprise wasn't on there?
1: Any name, just for whatever reason. Surprise was not on there? Yeah, surprise that I did not include them. Dude, I mean, there's just, I don't know the class well enough. I mean, I, I feel like I've always, I always liked Rico Walker. Okay. Um, but like, so, you know. So Rico was kind of, when I was putting this together,
2: he was kind of one I was on the fence about. Correct. And and the reason being is that I hear a lot of SEC buzz, particularly with the, and I probably shouldn't open this can kind of words, but the NIL stuff. Um, but he constantly visits North Carolina. And I'm a big believer in following the visits, you know, but obviously it's not foolproof. So I was kind of torn a little bit and I wouldn't be shocked if Rico Walker is um, is on a future mock class by any means. I did mention him in there. Um, And a lot of this is, it's just so hard. And I think we'll get a better idea. I think he's supposed to come out with a, with a new favorite schools list. that's going to be a a lot more limited than his prior ones. Mm -hmm. It might be like three or four schools. And if that's the case, we'll get a better idea of just where he's at and what visits, you know, what's his plan on for certain things. But I'm not saying by any means North Carolina is out of the Rico Walker race. I think UNC is definitely in the thick of it. It's just, you know, I wanted to pick, uh, I guess, five defense alignment, and I feel better about North Carolina's chances with those five over Rico Walker as it stands today. Tomorrow, that could be completely different.
1: Yeah, and you were pretty clear that this is going to be the most inaccurate of your mock classes just because there's so many unknowns, such a lack of momentum with certain recruits, and the overall class is kind of very slow to um, – but tricky late. It's good to see Jamal Jarrett on there, uh, fellow Grimsley Worley teammate, former teammate of Travis Shaw. Um, but yeah, I mean, there were names on there I'd, I'd never even seen before. Um, yeah, I
2: mean, a lot of this is like these guys, and that was the other thing. So there's a lot of guys where I, I was told UNC, you know he really likes UNC, he really likes UNC, but hasn't visited yet. Plans on visiting maybe in May, if not in June. I didn't feel as comfortable including guys in that situation because they hadn't visited. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in um, and, and a lot of these instances of guys who I'm sure you're not familiar with, they are you know, a Florida kid or a Georgia kid who visited one time, mentioned North Carolina's in his top four, top five, and it's going to take an official visit. And from what I've heard from sources close to that person and sources from UNC's end is that things are going really, really well with that recruit. And it's just kind of just putting the piece of the puzzle together. It, it feels like a, a a comfortable projection. But like you mentioned, yeah i mean this is there's so many unknowns and there's so many dominoes involved with some of this stuff too that uh i expect some changes
1: there you go all right good stuff guys make sure if you do not if you're not an inside carolina subscriber make sure you subscribe inside carolina there's tons of deals every other week there's some big discount so get on inside carolina um and then with that you can read all of don's intel it'll be tons of recruiting momentum and and Intel this spring and summer, especially with and basketball too, with transfers and 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 tidbits here and there on the roster. And then of course, uh basketball-related recruiting stuff with Gigi Jackson, etc. And with an inside kind subscription, you get 10% off, 10% off discount code to Johnny T shirt and johnny t shirt.com, your one-stop shop for all your UNC apparel needs. Done right now, it's a beautiful day in Chapel Hill, Carolina Blue Skies. It's 64 degrees. Ooh. It's going to be down to the 40s tonight. You know what that means?
2: That means what? Sweat,
1: sweatshirt weather. Um, ah. So go to Johnny T-shirt. Dress get, in layers. There you Dress go. Dress like an onion. Like an onion. Here you go. Get your jackets. Get your sweatshirts. You know, the spring is a great time to rock that new fresh Carolina sweatshirt. Get all your UNC apparel needs. Get that jersey, the UNC basketball jersey, football jersey for a darty. You know what a darty is, Don? I do not. A day, party. Um, so get everything you need from Johnny T-Shirt and t shirtcom When's local, your next Dardy? Um, uh, my partying days are over. Um, so it's local. Local company, locally owned. They support us. Uh, and we have a 10% off discount code. They're on Franklin Street and online at JohnnyT-Shirt.com. A great uh, deal and a, and a great customer service. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Okay, Don, um, we're going to bring on Patrick Suttis. I mispronounced his last name to start the interview. Uh, we've already recorded this, so we know what uh, we talked about. So it's a great interview. Uh, he is UNC's general manager. He talks about his job, talks about working with Nick Saban, with Coach Brown, talks about the process for offering. Uh, it's a great interview, uh, so check that out right now, and we'll be right back with some uh, – we'll just talk about the interview, and we'll get into some team stuff for UNC football. You're listening to The Scoop. And welcome back to The Scoop. I'm your host, Ross Martin, joined by Don Callahan. We have a very special guest today. Our interview with UNC Assistant AD and General Manager, Patrick Suds. What's going on, Pat?
0: How we doing, guys?
1: Great. And we want to bring you on because you're a new hire for, for Mac. You were brought in, I guess, uh, was it January? Uh, beginning of February or mid-February. Okay, so after I know, the, I've, lo- I've lost I've lost track of the days now. So sometime around there. Yeah. So after the um the 2022 class w- was signed, you were brought Sorry. in. We're gonna get right into it with some questions, a bunch of things, kind of kind of explain your role, what you do, and then get kind of the weeds of of recruiting and, and roster management. So first, I mean you left uh Georgia Tech to come to UNC. I was kind of wondering what went into the decision making process to to go into interconference and come to North Carolina. Yeah,
0: I always had uh Tremendous respect for the UNC brand growing up, um, even living in Atlanta. Um, always uh, enjoyed watching UNC football and basketball. Um, and then obviously the chance to work for Coach Brown again. Um, you know, We were only together one year at Texas, but it was one of the best years of my life as far as working experience. Um, he's just an unbelievable human being, unbelievable coach. Uh, and it's not often you get to work for a Hall of Fame coach um, someone that's already in the Hall of Fame uh, in your career. So uh, just jumped at the opportunity to have a chance to work with him again.
1: Along all the same lines of, of working with Mac and Carolina, like people always talk about UNC football as a sleeping giant. From your perspective, kind of coming from an SEC background, what's your perspective of, of UNC football and what it can be, the recruiting base and kind of, you know, which, which makes you make a move from a place like Georgia Tech to, to UNC, the advantages UNC football has and can be?
0: Yeah, I think if you look at the history of UNC, they've always, you know, had really tremendous seasons, um, sometimes back-to-back seasons, but it's now just trying to build something uh, and, and maintain it. But it's just, one, it's an unbelievable place to live. Um, you have a chance to win all your games, and then you have the academic piece on top of that where it's life-changing um, for the people that that go to this university. Um, so all those things added up with Hall of Fame coach, um, it's just, even just being here, I see why everybody, um, when I first took the job, they said at nauseum, people say how much they love Chapel Hill and never leave. That is the case, but I see why they say it. Uh, it's an unbelievable college town, unbelievable place to live. Uh, I'm excited to raise my family here. Um, and I just, for a, a student athlete coming in, it's got everything you would want out of a university. Um, and I think we're poised to continue to take that step. And everywhere Coach Brown's uh, been, he's won. So uh, he's a proven winner. and We're excited to continue this thing.
2: So, Pat, I wanted to get into exactly what you do, because I think a lot of fans, they've seen your name because this position has actually, I guess, gotten a lot of fame the last couple of years. Your, your title is what? General Manager slash Assistant AD. But you know, what is kind of, I guess, your daily routine? I think that best kind of shows just what what you actually do.
0: Well, what I love about this job is really the daily routine is you never know what it's going to be. You can have a set plan of what you think it's going to be. Um, but every part of the year is different. Obviously, right now we're getting ready for spring eval period. Our coaches will hit the road starting next week. We've obviously, these last couple months, had a bunch of kids on campus. So for me, I oversee all recruiting, and, and recruiting is really broken down in, the, in different stages. It's the identification piece. So we have a I have a group of people that work for me Um, uh, Daniel and Julian and a bunch of students that help find names, along with the the coaches, of guys to watch, to evaluate. Then it's the evaluation piece, which I oversee all that as well, um, to figure out if we want to offer a kid. uh, Do we want to get the kid to camp? Um, Do we need more info on the kid and all that? And then it's the marketing piece, the, um, you know, once we decide, hey, we want this kid, let's offer him. We're full speed. How do we, you know, how do we get this kid? Uh, what are his likes? What are his interests? Um, how can we best attack that? How do we get them on campus? Um, how, do, how, you know, how do we get them on campus as many times as possible? And then how do we close? Um, and then now with the transfer board piece, you know, you've know you got your high school evaluation process, all that. And then you've got your free agency uh, with the portal and uh, just making sure we're monitoring that I have somebody in charge of watching that um so that's just an, another piece that's thrown in there and and um and our and we have a great staff a uh, great on-campus team with uh with alex who i know you guys are gonna get a chance to talk to uh, molly and jess they do a great job uh, with that piece
1: great yeah we're gonna talk to uh, alex on another episode we're actually interviewing her uh after this one a little behind behind bad, baseball man. there <laughs> no, no it's all good I Just just want, want the listeners to be clear there so Your answer, I had a couple of questions. The marketing thing, I've never heard it really called that. Like once you identify a player, offer a player, you evaluate, offer the marketing part of that, figuring out the interests, getting them on campus. Can you kind of build on that in in how in detail you can go? I'm sure, I mean, you're talking to the grandmother, you're talking to, you know, the principal, the teacher. Can you elaborate a little bit on kind of that answer? And, And once you figure out that you want this player what goes into building that marketing plan to, to eventually hopefully get him to commit?
0: Yeah. First you have to find out who are the key, um, you know, whether it's family members, coaches, seven on seven coaches, whoever's the key person in the recruitment, it could be multiple people. Uh, that's the most important thing. could be the kid making the decision. You know, a lot things have changed a little bit, even since I've been in this business where kids are more and more making the decision, um, and it's not necessarily sometimes the parents or the high school coach or whoever, but find out who the decision maker is. Um, then find out what 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 are they like? What what are the reasons they would come to UNC? Um, then we have a graphics plan. We have a graphics department that does a great job uh, coming up with different graphics for kids. Uh, we had the personalized video piece now, which is new this year. Um, so I think you guys have seen on Twitter, some of the guys that have come in for photo shoots, whatever, well, then we send them a personalized video from that photo shoot. So, all those type of things uh, go into the marketing piece. And then once they get on campus, it's not just a cookie cutter, okay, they need to tour this, they need to tour this. No, what, what exactly are they interested in? You know, if, if they're interested in the business school, whatever they're interested in uh, academically, um, is the strength coach going to be one of the most important pieces for them to the develop? So we might have, you know, this, the coach has talked to them even longer than he normally does. Um, what is the what is the key piece which most kids today the key piece is development to play at the next level right and so um, with the coaches we have on staff and uh, especially bringing coach Chiz and coach Warren in uh, we feel we have a tremendous piece with that uh, from their background um, so all that goes into the the, the marketing piece
1: yeah well, I, got, I got one thing Don for sure. you I know your questions coming up but um, I know your predecessor Billy High I interviewed him a couple times um, before, and he spoke about how like he was constantly texting with Mac Brown, like always in communication. Um, I was wondering kind of your perspective. I know you all probably have different personalities and, and stuff, but what's your interaction day to day with Coach Brown and with the other, you know, uh, what, nine or 10 position coaches now uh, and how that kind of works out and your communication level with them in terms of recruiting and roster building?
0: Yeah, so Coach Brown doesn't sleep, if you (laughs) guys didn't know that. I don't know when he sleeps uh, with the texts I get and the staff, whatever. But that's that's why I wanted to come work for him because uh, he's as detailed as a coach as I've been around. Uh, No stone is left unturned, and he's always – his mind is always working. And as a head coach, um, there's so much stuff that is on his plate. Uh, It's amazing that he's able to function day in and day out. I have tremendous respect for all head coaches, but especially him um so yeah communicate with him all the time from a coaching standpoint we're always communicating we have there's so many different uh group text chains that we're on we use Mm -hmm. teamwork's as well that's also a a way to message out Um, but we have a message with all the the 10 full-time coaches i got a message with my recruiting group and all that goes into that is okay this kid's coming on campus this day this what time he's coming or hey coach you need to watch this kid um you know, um, and especially now with hitting the road, Eval season, my phone's going to be, I'll set the record for text in a day um, with coaches hitting the road and, you know, because it always changes. You know, you might have a set plan of hitting these 10 schools, but so-and-so is not practicing today, but this kid is practicing, so we got to get over there uh, and get a chance to see him. So, yeah, the communication is is uh,
1: nonstop. And you're coordinating all those visits during spring Correct. evaluation pretty much, like travel and... and- yeah, the coaches,
0: put, the coaches will put together their schedule, but there's obviously um, I'm kind of the one that puts the master plan together and makes sure that it all lines up, you know, in spring eval period, you're only allowed to go to a school twice. And there's certain schools, obviously, we have multiple prospects at offense and defense. Only two coaches can go per per visit. So if you have a school with multiple offensive defenses, it's that's where the puzzle piece comes into play. Okay, which four coaches which two hits, making sure their schedules match up. That's kind of what I do when, once I get everybody's master plan. Don?
2: Yeah, so I wanted to get into a question I get all the time. Um, it, you know, I've been getting it forever, is the, the actual offer process. So as, as specific as you can, you know, player X, you know, how, how what's the process for him to get an, an offer from you guys?
0: Well, we'll speak on what we do here. You know, every school is different. I think you even look at the numbers of um, kids that different programs offer versus us uh, and some other schools. We're a little bit more detailed in our process. Obviously, the academics is very important, so we don't offer anybody until we get their transcript to see where they're at. Um, Obviously, UNC's unbelievable university academically. We want to make sure they're a fit on that end. And uh, and Coach Brown wants to make sure you know how you do how you do anything is how you do everything. So if you're not taking care of your stuff off off the field, what makes you think you're going to take your stuff on the field? So that's the first piece before we offer. But basically, um, and and it could change depending on the identification piece. But our recruiting staff identifies the prospect. Um, My staff will watch the film. We have a different um, we have a database that triggers so. If we write up a report on a kid, it goes straight to the position coach, goes to the area coach. They write a report on the kid. They like the kid. It goes to the coordinator. Uh, the coordinators will watch the film. If he likes the kid, it comes back to me. And then I sit down with Coach Brown. We watch the film. No offers uh, get approved without Coach Brown's blessing. And that's kind of how we, uh, we do
1: it. And then we attack from there. Do you have to see the player in person? Or is it, is it a lot of video these days?
0: It depends, obviously, if it's a local kid. Um, most cases we've at least seen them in person or somebody in our footprint, but if there's some sort of connection, um, you know, with a kid from, you know, that's got some sort of UNC connection from further away, um, if it's something we need to offer to get in the game and then get them on campus, and that's where all the like the verify the camps, Under Armour camps, you know, all these different uh, camps that, that people do, um, that we get the information on that helps us, but we like to. We ideally, you want to see them in person to get your own uh, measurements on them.
2: So along those, I guess it's somewhat similar, but probably different. The transfer portal, because I imagine that it's well. I'll just let you. I mean, what what's the process with that? How does it differ from a you know, the, you know, when you're recruiting a high school kid?
0: The hardest part about the transfer process is it's like drinking through a fire hose. <laughs> the recruitment could be a week you know mm-hmm. um so in most cases if you see the kids that are transferred from different schools there's some sort of connection where either that school was recruiting them before and they went somewhere else there's a certain assistant coach on the staff that has a connection there's usually some sort of connection mm-hmm. um, because it's hard to get all the background info on these kids because if you call their previous institution they might not be happy with that the kids enter the portal so you're not going to get an honest assessment of who the kid is, all that. So that's why ideally it's, you want to take kids that someone in staff has a relationship with, or you recruited them before, you know everything about the family. Um, because if not, it happens fast, especially the mid-year kids. You know, they're hitting the portal in December. You got to get them in school by January 4th. It happens fast. Um, and that's been the hardest part about the portal um, and, uh, and and the way they have it structured where they can enter at any time.
1: I've talked to Coach Brown about this a lot. Um, UNC has a little bit. I'm sure every school is a little bit different perspective and, and take on how they operate with the transfer portal. What is your take and how? What's UNC's stance on the transfer portal? I know Max said like they're y'all only going to take people that fit culturally, academically, socially, but also that can can start or, or likely contribute in a major way. Anything to add to that about UNC's transfer portal? Yeah, stance? no, I think
0: that's that's accurate. I mean, we want to we want to take kids that. Or have proven and played in college in, in most cases, um, because if you take a kid um, that you're not sure about if he could be a starter or hasn't played a lot, and then you get him and he doesn't play, you're you're stuck with him. He can't transfer again, right? Until he you know there's some different rules where the guys that graduate can potentially transfer another time. But you, that's why you have to be even more careful with transfer water guys as far as who you bringing in because you're stuck with them with the high school kids now you know they they still have the one year or the one, the, the one time waiver deal where they can transfer out uh, if it doesn't work out or they don't like to play in time or, or whatever it is
1: yeah I kind of i always think the old adage is there's a reason people transfer okay. usually um so yep. gotta be careful with that you can you can tuck that away don <laughs> thanks um, <laughs> uh, all right um so into roster building i know that's a big part of your job um i don't know how much i mean i'm sure you have a pretty big role in maintaining the, the current roster is that correct that's correct. It's, it's a lot of recruiting but so yeah. i think this is a pretty popular topic on inside carolina the message boards is, is the number of players per position and number of takes in each class on certain positions um i don't know how you want to approach this question don i mean like right now for example like Wide receivers. Y'all have six scholarship wide receivers. Um, and I think you'll have eight when fall starts. So what is your take on on how you build a roster position-wise? And I know that changes when you get different position coaches. I'm not really sure where this question is going. But, um, you know, in terms of, like, prioritizing certain positions over other positions, like, I always think you should take more offensive linemen, defense linemen, other positions. But what's your stance on kind of building a roster, Prioritizing certain things um, and how that plays into your job. As- this is
2: it your philosophy? I guess what Russ yeah. trying yeah, to say. Is- maybe we can Ross. build
1: we can build off uh, some questions <laughs> off your answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you know, ideally you have certain numbers you want to hit at each position. I think scheme determines your ideal numbers. Every place I've been, depending on the scheme, the numbers per position changes. Um, obviously, if you're running a 3-4 on defense, you're going to have more uh, outside backers and backers. Um, offensively, if you're more 12 personnel, you'll have more tight ends. Um, so that, that all determines that as far as the, the numbers. But, you know, my philosophy um, and, and Max's philosophy is really the NFL model is, you know, when they're drafting, there's certain teams that draft based on need and there's certain teams that draft based on talent. So like you were saying, you never want to turn down a really good defensive or offensive lineman because they're hard to find. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you have to go into a year where you have more defensive linemen than your ideal number, I think that's fine because those positions are hard to find. So we never want to make make need that priority where we take kids just to take kids to fill a roster spot, if that makes sense. Because like you said, we've only got eight receivers – Ideally, you want more, but we feel really good about those eight receivers that they can all play. So that's not always the case. You could have 12 receivers, but you only you only feel good about six or seven that could play. So for legs, for bodies and all that, but that's where walk ons and all that comes into play when it comes to practice and all that. Um, And then the way we're using our tight ends more in the past game that also helps alleviate from the wide receiver position. Um, But, yeah, it's it's both. And now it's it's. It's even harder now because you just, you don't know who's going to transfer early transfer out. Yeah. In the old days, you knew exactly. We have this many seniors at this position. We got to take so we, hey, we got three senior linebackers. We got to take three linebackers. We think this guy's probably going to go pro. He has a good year, so we'll take a fourth if he does go pro. So you have those guys. So we still have that, but then you never know who's going to transfer now. Um, they could it could be because of playing time. It could be because of whatever the case. Um, so that's, that's what makes it harder. So that's why we never want to turn down a good player, uh, depending on position.
1: think y'all had three or even four wide receivers transfer or, or leave early after the last year, which is, which it is why right. the problem, yep. um, and what's the hardest position to find and to recruit?
0: Oh man, it, I think it changes, um, year in, year out. Like there's certain years it's deep at certain positions and certain years it's not, um, I think to me the, the hardest position is O line, and I think if you ex NFL people, that's the hardest. It's the hardest to project. It's hardest yeah. to um, one to see how big they're going to get, especially coming out of high school, um, how they'll develop. I think it's the hardest position to play as a true freshman, um, mm. especially the, the tackle position. Um, so for me, that's that's always the hardest one. I mean, quarterbacks obviously hard because that's the one that makes your team go. Um, but if you if you know that intangibly this this kid's getting made of the right stuff he's a winner um he's got all the ability um but yeah o-line uh for sure for me is the hardest one
2: so i know we're getting towards the end so i want to get this question in the this current class i know you can't speak about specific recruits and all that but uh for me and i've been doing this a long time um it feels like it's it's been like a slower process, not just for North Carolina, but also in general, am I wrong in that? And if so, what, what do you kind of attribute that to?
0: Well, you got to remember, you know, these kids haven't been able to go out in the Springs the last two years um, because of COVID. So I think everyone's enjoying that process a little bit. I think that's part of it Um, for us having new staff members coming in, reevaluating everything, um, especially on the defense side of the ball kind of slows some things down a little bit. But we feel good about where we're at. For us, we always follow the visits, and we've been able to get a ton of really good players on campus. Um, We're set up. We'll have three big official visit weekends this summer, and so that will determine a lot. But I think you'll see it start to pick up here um, before the dead period hits in July Um, because a lot of these kids too now, these high school kids nowadays are worried about the portal. You know, I better get in and get my spot before that portal opens up and – and, and teams are taking portal kids over high school kids. So uh, it will pick up here, especially with our coaches hitting the road and, and all that. But we've been very pleased with the amount of quality players we're getting on campus. And usually if you follow the visits, those commitments will come down the road.
1: Watch what they do not what they say, Don. That's um, right. So you said uh, get out in the spring. Did you mean players to get out to visit or coaches to get out and do evaluation visits?
0: Both, but coaches okay. go out evaluate. And there could be some guys we don't know about. You know, usually yeah. not in North Carolina. We have got a pretty good handle on our area, but they're you know in our footprint in the five hour radius. There could be some guys we find, you know, going out to practices that we didn't even know about. You know, because there's certain schools that um, maybe maybe they don't get. You know, coaches don't get to a lot um, that aren't a powerhouse school that 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 you find. You know, it's harder to do that this, these days because all the camps that they go to, all the recruiting services. Um, you know, like you guys and, and, um, but there's still, you're able to find kids in spring and that's how it was in the old days. Well,
2: it definitely feels like more structured in the sense that like now, like you mentioned a bunch of just unofficial visits kids, a lot of kids are taking a ton of unofficial visits and they're all talking about, okay, I'm going to narrow it down by the end of the spring, find my five, take those official visits in June and I mean just about everyone now is saying I'm going to make a decision in the summer. So it's almost right. kind of strangely kind of structured, it, structured it pretty nicely for us and for, for you guys too. So. Yeah. And but, we'll,
0: we'll, we'll do a majority of our official visits, you know, this summer, which continues to be the trend mm-hmm. uh, in college football.
1: Okay. Uh, so we well, have one last question. I mean, I feel like we could talk to you for a while on just yeah. different topics. So we'll wrap it up here. You worked, um, under Nick Saban for, I believe, two years at, at, uh, with the Miami Dolphins, then seven years at Miami. I mean, I think Nick, Nick Saban, you know, he is the the grand poop of of, uh, of college football. So I was wondering what's that like, what, what it was like working with Nick Saban, anything you share about that experience, what you learned from him? Because um, I think that's a pretty unique um, opportunity and experience that you had with him.
0: Yeah, obviously, forever indebted to um, Coach Saban for giving my, my start. But um, very similar to Coach Brown. You know, they're different personalities, obviously. Um, as <laughs> you can tell, Coach Brown is uh, definitely someone you want to spend more time with as far as one-on-one. But both are extremely detailed in the process. Both obviously have won national champion, uh, a national championship. Um, but I'm just blessed that I've, you know, obviously uh, Nick's going to be in the Hall of Fame and one of the greatest coaches of all time. I feel the same with Coach Brown. So I'm just blessed um, in my career. It's hard to be able to do that work for two Hall of Fame coaches, so um, extremely blessed.
1: Was there anything you learned from him, or anything that he does you think makes him so unique and special?
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, I I think um, every you know obviously I got my start there, so there's a lot I learned under him. Um, but every coach I've been with, I've been able to take a different piece. Like I like this, I don't necessarily like that. You know, the Alabama model doesn't work everywhere. Nick's yeah. Nick's model doesn't work everywhere. Um, I think if you see some of the coaches that have gone on uh, to be head coaches under Nick. Some have been successful and some have not the ones that have been successful are the ones that weren't just trying to be like Nick and try to do it their own way. They took different pieces, but just the attention to detail. And again, that's why uh, I love working for coach Brown because the similarities with that, um, that piece of it and the attention to detail. Um, and again, just, just uh, for, for me and my career, I've just taken bits and pieces, every coach I've been and, and been thankful and blessed to work for all the
1: different coaches I've been able to work for. Great. That was awesome, Pat. We appreciate your time yeah, Thanks thank so, much, you so for, much for coming and um, hopefully we'll talk to you maybe down the line soon. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check.
2: Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Okay, and we're back. Welcome back into The Scoop brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcast. And subscribe to the YouTube channel, Inside Carolina on YouTube. You can see our beautiful faces. We upload every podcast to YouTube, all our interviews, all our press conferences, all the good stuff to our Inside Carolina YouTube channel. Don, what did you think about the Patrick Suttis interview?
2: I enjoyed it. I think um, he's a sharp guy. He's quick with, you know, he he has, he knows exactly what's going on. He has to handle so many different things. I don't think people realize just what nowadays what's involved in um, his position. You know, he mentioned the term marketing um, to recruits, which is, which is uh, you found that interesting. I know that. Um, But uh, just so many different aspects that he has a hand in um, with recruiting. I mean, this, this position Is starting to to get paid pretty well at the Power Five levels because they're directly involved in the the roster um, assembly, and he touched on a lot of that sort of stuff, you know. And the thing too, so you know, we've talked to Billy High before, and Billy's great. Billy is like a encyclopedia. If you ever have a conversation with him, as far as knowledge and stuff, Uh, both of them are Type A personalities. Pat, though, is a little bit more laid back. You know, he still has a Type A personality, but he's a little bit more laid back. You don't feel like you know, um, the house is on fire or anything like that with him. Um, so, so I like that kind of element to, to his personality that brings to North Carolina. What did great. you think?
1: can't <laughs> wait for that. Yeah, Um that's great. I mean, it's it is a it's a crazy job. I mean, it might be the third most important job on the team: head coach, strength and conditioning coach, general manager. I mean, maybe defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator in there too. But it is a critical job because. They handle. They have a role in all aspects of recruiting, from evaluation, from offers. I mean, they're head of the department, so there's tons of staff members below them that are handling the, the analyzing and and um, you know uh, scouting these players. Then the offer process, which you work with the coaching staff, you work with the different assistant coaches, and then the recruiting aspect, the, the marketing of the program, organizing recruits, working with Alex White on campus recruiting, working with all the staff members and coaches to figure out the plan for recruiting certain players. And then when they're on campus, handling those visits, and there's tons of coordination. It's a, it's a 24, seven, 365 job. Um, and, you know, it's a huge, I mean, we, I've talked, we interviewed Billy a bunch of times, not on this show, but I, I did some break off interviews with him. And it's the same thing, man. It is a intense yeah. job, but I think it's an exciting job. And every day is different. And you have an intimate relationship with everything that goes on with UNC football in terms of the roster building recruiting, which is the lifeblood of, of any football program.
2: I have an
1: intimate relationship with my co-host. <laughs> Weird. Pause. All right. Um, good on that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, want mention- to next. Yeah. As we mentioned on the interview with Pat, we're bringing on Alex White, who we just mentioned earlier. Uh, the next time we record, which would be in, in probably two or three weeks, we have an interview we've already recorded with Alex White. Um, really good stuff, too. She, she's a, definitely a dynamic, vibrant personality, and so it's a different perspective on recruiting a different role um and, and that was a great interview as well so look forward to that on the scoop right Don? yes okay look, i'm looking for that okay well we've got to do this but looking back we haven't talked in over i know over six weeks what has been going on anything recruiting that we need kind of just to update um there was some visit weekends you know briefly yeah. overview kind of give us the calendar the timeline I, um of
2: i mean there's been a ton of visits, and, and Sudd has mentioned that. Um, not, need not name names for obvious reasons, but um, ton of visits. You know, the the spring game was a big visit weekend for North Carolina. Wow. Also, March fifth, which happens to be my birthday, was um, I guess their last junior day, and they had a bunch of guys there, and the recruits who came were able to watch practice. But then, throughout the last really couple of of, of months. There's been just tons of visits, you know, particularly recently because a lot of kids are on spring break and they've taken advantage of that. I mean, I, I mean, just about if you look at that, you know, inside Carolina's recruiting board, a big chunk of those guys have visited within the past couple of of months. I could, you know, go through all of them, but I don't know if that helps any. But there's been a lot of movement, and as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, that those sort of things will set the foundation because it's more of like here's a preview of of what we're about you know hopefully that entices them to schedule an official visit the official visit is where you hope to kind of close it all out with
1: the commitment which
2: will happen shortly after that official visit
1: okay and then what's happening what's the next thing on the calendar i know we mentioned kind of coaches getting on visits coaches yeah. getting out to high school visits what do we have to look forward to the next couple weeks leading into june
2: so this is the evaluation period which we actually have the you know, spring evaluation period which we we actually have not had for the past couple of years because of COVID. You know, last year the calendar didn't open up open up until June 1st, and basically they just went into you know summer camps and official visits and all that. So this will be a lot of you know they did some of this in, during the winter time for the winter evaluation period, but this will be a little bit more. I guess um, you're spreading the, your net a little bit wider. I guess you know you're you're probably you know a lot of the assistant coaches will try to visit all of the schools within their in-state territory and then obviously branch out into, you know, their um, out-of-state territories or in a situation like Phil Longo, he recruit out-of-state. He doesn't have an out-of-state territory per se, mm-hmm. um, but he, he recruits your quarterbacks. So yeah. he might go to California or definitely Texas to kind of watch a quarterback throw at a, at a spring practice or, or just a workout. Um, you know, Bicknell will do the same thing for offensive linemen. You know, uh, Dre Bly might do that for maybe a DB that might be out of his area. So that's what's going on right now for the next for um, for for the rest of this month and and most of next month. And then things, I think, kind of die down just a little bit and then just amp up a lot in June. As I mentioned, the official visits, but there's also camps and the camps this time around be primarily for the next class, the 2024 class. The 2023s, maybe there'll be a couple here or there that maybe UNC has their eye on, want to kind of get a second look and want, want them to maybe he plays a different position in his high school but wants to work them out at a uh, completely separate position. They'll do that at a camp setting to kind of decide what they want to offer. But camps, for the most part, will mostly be for underclassmen, not for the, this, the, the, this well, current class.
1: There have been some, I mean, I definitely remember players coming to camps of that year in that cycle and getting offers and committing, right? The summer before the senior year, right?
2: Not really. Not last year is an exception because they weren't able, they didn't have the spring evaluation period. So you had situations like Bo Atkinson who came in for a, a Justin,
1: you know, Justin Canuck. Yeah.
2: yeah. Can, Canuck was another one, but prior to that, I mean, um, the recruiting cycle was moving away from seniors scoring scholarship offers. Yeah, there definitely have been. But yeah. for the most part, it's for underclassmen, and I think that progress is going to be even further moved to that to where camps are just for underclassmen for the most part. Okay, At least and for for this level of
1: football. Yeah, and I want to touch on something. So the the coaching uh, visits, you you went into some detail there, but how many times can they visit the school? Like, what's the just the whole logistics about? How many so times and what where they go and all that pet- stuff.
2: Pat touched on this a little bit. So they can go to uh, a school twice during this time frame.
1: One coach can go to every school twice? Well,
2: So, well, a school can go to a, a, I'm sorry, a college can go to a high school twice within this time, right? But they can only have no more than two coaches visit at one time. And this is actually the the old rule. Um, I think it was Auburn when Tommy Figpen was was on that staff. What they would do is they had this caravan with all the coaches and they would just bombard a school of their top targets and just show, like, hey, you know, we're super we're so interested in you were sending our whole staff. And then other coaches were like, This is ridiculous. This is supposed to be for evaluation purposes, not to you know, impress whoever. But um, so they scaled that back. So now they limited it to, I guess two. I, I thought it was more than that, but but Pat mentioned too, and
1: I'm going to defer so to him when th- it comes to anything. Does two coaches visiting at one time count as one visit? Yes. For that school? So then yes. they can come back, they can send, you well, know, and, and, and from my understanding, you could have a
2: coach come in that morning and then another coach come in that evening because it's the same day.
1: And that counts as one visit. That counts as and, one visit. And then like the in a week later, they could, you know, have another coach come in or. Yes. And this is only assistant coaches. Okay. So you like to hit yeah, up Yeah, no every-
2: head coaches. So head coaches can do it in the winter, but Mac Brown cannot in this spring
1: yeah and so yeah ideally you hit up you know every high school twice in your region maybe just once um and then hit up you know a high school that's with your top targets that, or, or like a school that has a lot of talented underclassmen or whatever and yeah kind of pick and choose but you could go as you could hit up as many as you want to right in terms of you could hit up 50 schools yeah
2: if you if you could hit up 50 schools one day yeah then, you, then you do could. it yeah. yeah so you're really but, i mean as somebody who goes to high schools um yeah, I mean, I think the most I've ever done was seven in one day, and it's got to be somewhere like Charlotte. Yeah, and you got to really I
1: mean, just communication, figuring out all logistics.
2: And, and then some, some of the places like, um like Eastern North Carolina. I mean, you can make it to two. You you know, unless you're. I mean, it's tough to go to more than that with the distance that you're driving.
1: Yeah. Okay. um Good stuff. Okay, moving on. We introed with Marky X. Were you jealous jealous of Marky X's uh, mock class on the board? Um, so I i honestly did not know it existed
2: until you mentioned it so i I real quickly kind of looked at the thread on there um i'm gonna pull it up again he has Um, multiple
1: he has multiple threads because every um every video he releases he starts a thread and i'm not even sure so he has
2: he has multiple videos oh yeah so i didn't know all this so this is i mean you mentioned that this is I guess somebody who's regular. I this is the first time I've seen this name. No, um, no, no, I don't
1: dude. I don't know this guy. I, I just saw it. I think late last week, and then he's got two, he's got two threads on the front message board page on the first page of the message board. Right, Our pit premium. This guy's a paying customer. Um, I
2: see. Um. Okay. I see. And it's just a okay. content,
1: and he's super positive. And you know, I don't know how much we should be really talking about this, but um. I was wondering if you were jealous of his mock class. I mean,
2: I I think the mock class, there is an element to it that that is a lot of fun. So, you know, doing it, I I can, I'm not going to be jealous. I think it's cool if you want to spend some time doing it. Uh, For me, you know, I know I'm going to be held accountable for whoever I I put on or leave off. So I make sure I do a, a whole lot of homework. Okay. on it um but uh, i can see having fun with it you know i mean there there's obviously i mean there, there's some um similarities to who we have some of them i'm surprised that he included on there um
1: but but, this, guy, this guy does his homework man i mean
2: yeah i mean i think um a, you know a good starting point is to make sure everybody who you have on there has has at least visited it looks like all these guys have visited north carolina so but um yeah. I mean, say- I, I try to be realistic with it because, I mean, if you're just going to put a bunch of guys on there who, you know, just because you want them, I, I don't know. I mean, but if you have fun with it, then yeah, if he had fun with this, then great. I mean, you definitely have fun with his, his rap.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, if, you scroll, if you scroll down on his mock class, he goes, these are according to my inside the brain sources.
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: and after talking with the man upstairs through Easter weekend. So these are from his brain and from Jesus or God. <laughs> I don't know how that works. These are the names I see in the 2023 <laughs> UNC class. And then when we win 12 games this fall, I'm hearing from the man upstairs Uh oh, that Arch Manning, 6'4", 215, will also commit to UNC. Nothing confirmed as of so, yet, but I'm liking what I'm feeling.
2: I don't want to. Arch add, Manning to UNC. I don't want to add to this. Um, this, I don't know fable that he has building but from i i'm not following arch manning as I, as closely as i follow others but from what i know it's hard to ignore arch manning and uh, every time you see something you, you kind of give it a little look but from my understanding arch manning is in no no um hurry to make a decision and actually might wait until the season to make a decision so he the timeline for him is, is lining up
1: yeah marquee x inside the brain sources definitely check out his youtube videos um there might be some parental warning on that on some of the language <laughs> yeah. but um his rap is fire and i do appreciate the shout out okay don floor is yeah, yours i did
2: not get a shout out uh, i know dude did.
1: i was surprised man it was me and then it was mac brown phil longo gene chizik and the whole unity roster
2: that, that is uh yeah he did, Dre did Bly. Whole, um
1: yeah i mean how do you feel I mean, you
2: are you basically are included with a bunch of really famous people
1: who have yeah. NIL deals. Honored, honored, honored. Big career accomplishment. All right, let's move on. Um, Don, the floor is yours. Uh, okay. spring, spring football, any questions? Anything you want to know?
2: Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm super behind on my research on all that stuff, so just keep that in mind. But um, the most interesting topic is the quarterback situation. You know, I did listen, Mac Brown's uh, press conference, not, not the one the other day, but the one directly after the spring game. And uh, you know he definitely was talking about how, you know, both of them are similar and you know, he might end up playing both and he's not just saying that because he wants both of them to stay, but it would be beneficial for Mac if he can keep both of them from transferring regardless of who he goes with. So my question to you is is one of them actually better than the other, and clearly going to help North Carolina win games over the other, or is this just, and is this just uh, lip service by, um, yeah, Mac Brown to Man, Try to keep both of
1: them? Yeah, I'm not. God, I mean, it's, it's not. A, I don't want. to, This is kind of a tepid answer, dude. I'm not a QB analyst, and they both look good. They both have attributes you would like. I mean, I think it would be great to bring Greg on or, or Staples on to talk about this, but. I think they're a little bit closer than maybe we thought. I think there was some momentum just kind of like to give it to Drake May and kind of let that kind of be the starter and move on. But at, coming out of spring, it feels like it's closer than maybe we expected and many people wanted it to be. You brought up great points. It's to UNC's advantage to keep both. I think there's a chance both play. Um, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of separation right now. Um, they both have you know some, some leadership intangibles and some – some personalities you'd like out of your quarterback. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see both play significant snaps, uh, in 2022, um, to keep, keep both on roster to have a viable backup. Um, but it was interesting to follow for sure. Um, I think, I think a big thing coming out of spring is I think Connor Harrell was, was very impressive. And I think I was noticed by players. I worried,
2: I was- I worried about him because watching his film there were certain things that worried me a little bit i felt like i mean he played with like i think it was like four or five five stars and i'm not exaggerating and Mm -hmm. like i felt like some of those receivers kind of and some of them end up being are going to be dbs on the
1: next level but some of those guys kind of bailed him out on some of the throws Oh, okay but yeah you've watched him play a lot more than i have but um you know dude i'm not trying to discredit you i'm just i'm just saying it's interesting what what you're you know there was some impressive uh it seemed like he, it wasn't too big for him the, the role wasn't too big for him and there was a high praise for him and you know we're, people we interview these are unc coaches and players that are going to be very positive um mm-hmm. and look i watched we didn't watch him play but one practice and one spring game so but i think they like what they have with him and you know he can win and things like that um the before you move on the next thing um there last season, there were a couple of
2: programs who actually did employ two quarterback systems. One of them was Blake Anderson, uh, former UNC offensive coordinator, who's now the head coach at Utah State, Utah State. Um, so he played two quarterbacks. There was another program that did it too, and apparently didn't have any issues and and won some games. So it can be done. Um, be interesting if, to do it, you know, um, to see if it can be done with North Carolina.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, it could happen. Okay, any other position groups? Um, I mean, I'll just run through it. I wrote a little thing on Phil Longo's takeaways on the offensive position groups. Check that out. Phil Longo takeaways, uh offensive position breakdowns. Um, wide receiver, like they like we talked about with with Patrick uh Suttis, they have six wide receivers right now on scholarship. They'll have eight when the two freshmen arrive in June. Very thin group. They like to have about 10 to 12 on scholarship. So they're gonna like probably get two transfers and transfer um portal but you know you want those guys to be starters or at least kind of break into the two deep so we'll see what units he can get that's to be interesting to follow as well I think a big storyline is is using Bryson Nesbitt as a slot receiver as a, as a kind of a wide receiver out wide as opposed to pure tight end I think you're gonna see him do that a lot Longo said they're using the, the tight end more than ever and they're kind of carrying the weight in the passing game that's a direct quote um, you know, kind of carrying the, the passing game which is surprising to hear we haven't seen that out of the tight ends. you got Kamari Morales, you got John Coopenhaven, and you got Bryson Nesbitt, 6'6", you know, 220, who, who looks apart, physical, and has one year under his belt. So I think he's going to be like you know, the big buzz for a breakout player there, Bryson Nesbitt. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, I think running back, it's, it's interesting to see British Brooks kind of be the guy. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of cool that he came back for his fifth season. And, and- he's
2: not from England.
1: That's right, yeah. He's okay. from Gastonia.
2: Yes, uh, is. very very far away
1: home of home of greg barnes greg barnes who is I, speaking, I see, hey,
2: speaking of greg i actually bumped into him and his family at the airport just completely yeah
1: yeah he was I going was, he's going to probably where did he go i think he went to the keys oh but cool. he's fl- he was
2: flying to he was on the same flight as my daughter because my daughter was going down to georgia to, to spend a week with her mom and he was flying him and his family were flying to atlanta i mm-hmm. guess uh, a connecting flight to go to the keys cool yeah he, we yeah. do are we allowed to have inside carolina people on as as guests maybe yeah we i think have
1: i think we should greg have on greg on he's on a lot of podcasts though Um, uh, but maybe we'll think have he's him. too
2: big time for us like we might right.
1: be too low on the totem pole i think he would enjoy i i would just want one where we just talk shop with somebody somebody okay. cool somebody great cool yeah greg greg can talk shop with us okay um, but is he cool yeah he's great um he won't listen to this, so you'll never hear this. But, yeah, he won't. He's not um, listening to this. We yeah. can say a,
2: b- a lot of bad things about it. And Greg, you know the thing about Greg? Is Greg <laughs> doesn't care. Like we yeah. just talk really badly about Greg, and he, he he just wouldn't care.
1: Yeah. Um, so British Brooks, kind of cool. Getting this, you know, he's gonna be the guy, you know, behind him, DJ Jones, like a lot of names behind him, DJ Jones, Elijah uh Elijah Gr- Elijah Green Green, a former scoop podcast yes. alum and guest. He yes. had like a little bit of a breakout year, it sounds like. You know, he hasn't done much his first two seasons. Redshirted one year. So, you know, he has some home run hitting ability, it seems. Uh, so, it's good to see his name pop up from Longo yesterday. Um, so, DJ Jones, Green. I uh, mentioned away, and They're bringing Amar and Hampton. Didn't say much about Camaro Edmonds. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see I, what but I saw
2: So, I saw Edmonds at the spring game. I chatted with him a little bit. Uh, just because I've known him for a while, and I thought he looked really good physically, because yeah. we've mentioned before when he was in high school, particularly during the COVID stuff, he he put on some some unnecessary weight, and but he looked really good when
1: I saw him. Yeah, no can bond over, bond over that. Um, and so I'm to see what happens uh, behind Brooks uh, at that two and three running back spot, because in the last seasons it's just been Michael Carter and Javante Williams, and then last year was really Ty Chandler got the most carries, so. And then um, offensive line, you know, new new offensive line coach. That's going to be really interesting to follow. I, I don't know yeah. how good they could be. I mean, they're really high on Awesome Richards, who, who's now kind of the most experienced guy Do you along think with Rice. Let me back fin- Rice. Let me finish here, man. think uh, you're going forever. I will learn for the best. Um, <laughs> I think Brian Anderson gets experience. I think Awesome Richards has experience. They really like Ed Montillas, who has started games here and there for three, four seasons now. But then they also have William Barnes and uh, your boy um, from Florida. Oh, um, uh, Caden Baker. Caden Baker. And, yeah, and then you had a question about Zach Rice.
2: Yeah, Zach Rice. I didn't want you to move on to the defense before. I ah. um, saw so a lot of things which kind of listed him, first team, second team. Uh, do you think that he uh, – how, how
1: much do you think he plays this, this season based off what you saw in the spring? Yeah, Yeah, I mean – it seems like he has – there's an opportunity there for him at right tackle to, to at least get some snaps and get some time and maybe move into some sort of starting role or split starting role by the end of the season. Um, you know, he's doing all the right things. Got here in January. He, he, he has a size. He's going to have a full offseason to get stronger. And, you know, they talk about him. When they talk about him, that usually means that he is playing a role and getting some snaps there. So there's some – there's some chances there. I Eventually, mean, you see how much Spencer in plays – when he comes yeah. in from Harvard, so that's another name to look out for. And I think Corey Gaynor and Brian Anderson will split time at center. Um, okay. I think they'll both play some, and that's good. It's good to have a backup at least, and it's good to keep that position um, rested. And so it's good to have like really solid depth there at center, something that UNC hasn't had. So good moves by the staff to bring in at least two offense linemen from the transfer portal, two experienced offense linemen from the transfer portal. So that'll be a position group we track heavily yeah, in the, uh, tr- in preseason camp.
2: Not to interrupt you, but
1: I didn't want you to move on. The center
2: position is so key when it comes to communication. And so, and I think UNC witnessed that firsthand last year. So to have some sort of consistency at that position, at the very least will help with the communication. Yeah.
1: That's a It's such a unique take there. I love it. A refreshing take. <laughs> communication is important in the center position. I love it. Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, and they have two veteran leaders, Brian Anderson. You know, yes, he may not be the best player, but he is a leader. He's likable. He's 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 he can communicate. Yeah, and he knows what he's doing. Uh, doing a lot of hunting, a lot of hunting, a lot of outdoors, and <laughs> I don't know how much football it is, but yeah, Brian's a good buddy of mine. He was. Um, he so hunts you, and fishes a lot.
2: Um, were you? You were off the recruiting beat. No, I covered was, I
1: covered his recruitment.
2: Oh, did you? Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, he was always enjoyable to speak with because he's a yeah. very um, personable kid. So I always enjoyed uh, speaking yeah. with him. And
1: he's a guy who wanted to be at UNC. Yeah. And he, yeah. Wanted, to, he wanted to offer so bad. And he got it. All right. Yep. Um, defense. Uh, Gregory Greg wrote the defensive takeaways. Uh, I think Noah Taylor is going to be a really special player. We learned from Chizik about kind of that Jack position. And I'm sure you've kind of Got an idea of what the jack position is, but it's really just a pass rusher. Yeah. Maybe a little bit lighter than the defensive end. Can drop a little bit, but just a an athletic long pass rusher. And like a Dez Evans is going to be a defensive end, but the jack position likes Noah Taylor Noah Taylor, uh, maybe a guy like Malachi Hamrick. Um and, and and definitely Noah Taylor and Chris Collins. So um that's what we have going so there.
2: So that's part so
1: with, if you include the Jack, that's the four D lineman, right? I was actually thinking that, and I, I need to ask Greg and, and maybe ask somebody on the defensive staff. You have the nose tackle, you have a three technique, you have a defensive end, and then I'm wondering if the Jack is so it's kind of like a three. It could three be a three or a four, yeah, depending then, on because they have and they have two linebackers, right? They don't have an yeah. outside linebacker, they have two middle have linebackers, two, yeah. And then five defensive backs, so it's a, a four-two-five essentially, right? So that works out well.
2: I, so I did talk to somebody with pretty good knowledge of both the prior system and this system, you know, very intimate knowledge of it, and they said there wasn't like a whole lot of differences in which in the two schemes. Oh, I, okay. This person is very, you know, very intimately involved in in that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I was actually surprised. Um, you know, obviously the terminology is all going to be different, and, and certain certain dif- you know philosophies are going to be different. But like from a, from a the base of it is is pretty similar.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the big thing with Chiswick is it's very you want to simplify it, get down to the bare bones, work on fundamentals, make it very simple, make it easy to make decisions, and build from there. Um, adding certain things off of a base, off of a base scheme, and a couple of different schemes, and then building from there. And so they're bare bones in the spring, work on fundamentals how they want to coach certain things and they'll get a little bit more complex, um, you know, every day throughout training but camp.
2: Chizik is always known for, if you've ever read any of his stuff, is always known for like simplifying things, making yeah. it as simple as possible so that, you know, there's not a whole lot of thinking It's just more doing.
1: Yeah. Um, I, mean, yeah is there, I think it
2: might've their echo. I mean, I, is there echo
1: here? <laughs> I literally like, just said That's, that.
2: <laughs> that wasn't that wasn't what you were saying, but that's anyway. exactly what I
1: said. All right. Um, <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. I, I mean, we love, we love Bateman, but his was I think it was kind of complex, which yeah. at times made it really good, and, and at times made it hard for some players to learn that. So, um, they had tons of injuries in secondary. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think Conley Conley was out. Duck was out at times. Um, Cam Kelly was out at times. Don Chapman, Day Hollins. So there were a lot of injuries in secondary, but they really like the linebackers. I think. You know, lose Gimmel, but it was a stud. But I think Cedric Gray is, is, was such a, um, you know, a, a diamond in the rough. They found recruiting-wise, it wasn't a massive recruit, but you know, he has a size. He broke out last year. They really love Power Eccles. You'll see him as a sophomore in a starting role. And Rah-Rah Dilworth, they seem to be very happy with Sebastian Cheeks as well, uh, the true freshman early enrollee. That's the one thing Tommy Thigpen on the recruiting trail has
2: always been able to do you know, I don't, he's not as, you know, active as he was when he was younger and the first time around in North Carolina, but he's always been able to find that athlete. And I mean, cause Cedric Gray was a wide receiver at Kell high school, you know, mm-hmm. but going back to, you know, Bruce Carter was a quarterback. Uh, Quan Sturdivant was a quarterback and, and Thigpen, you know, found those, well, maybe not Sturdivant, um, but he was able to kind of develop those guys into, you know, what do you want made him made him quality linebackers
1: and Cedric Gray's mature a leader mm-hmm. you know seems very bright and smart and mature for for that position okay we gotta get out of here Don um anything else
2: uh oh I wanted to ask you how much time we have like five minutes yeah I want to ask you about your trip particularly your Philadelphia trip where did you end uh, up yeah. eating uh we're watching. To, you we went watch to watch a game. We
1: went to Gina. Oh, okay. We watched the game at geez, some bar. And just a random and, bar. No, I mean it was the. Was it Xfinity Live or was it? Uh, so I did. Piece? I did go to Xfinity Live. Did you like for, it? For a beer? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean it's not really my nice scene, but yeah. It's it, I mean, it's kind of like very. It's a, bit, it's a commercial. Of, it's a massive yeah. sports bar. I mean, yeah. what it is. So at Phil- in Philadelphia all the arenas and all there's the baseball stadium, the football stadium and the hockey and basketball arena are all right there. They're Mm -hmm. all together. They share a massive parking lot. It's just this massive complex, which is kind of far. It's a, you can't walk there from downtown Philly. No, Uh, but it's not like in the suburbs. It's a, it's a 10 minute, 10 minute cab ride. Um, Which in our hotel was right there too. Like we could, Essentially, we took a, a five-minute little bus ride to the stadium. But I walked back from the stadium a couple of times. And there's this huge, massive bar called Xfinity Live. Within it is like six different bars, massive high ceilings. You know, there's like a freaking uh, bull, mechanical bull, lights, and all this glitz and glamour and DJs bumping music and massive TVs. And there's other bars. I went there with a buddy um, after, after one of the sessions. We watched. I forgot We watched the game. We watched like the Duke game and some other games. Um, at at, at some bar, we got. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you this. Hot take. Cheese steaks, man. They, they all they all kind of taste the same.
2: Uh, I was, so I did you get
1: Wiz? Yep. Okay. And I wasn't Jim and I. Jim, me, Jim Hawkins. Uh, Taylor Vipples met some friends at Geno's. I think. Uh, so
2: did you? Wait, so did you do Geno's and Pats?
1: Yeah, we were right there. Yeah, so
2: I'm pretty sure they they are exactly the same recipes. I think the preparation is different, like the cutting. It might be, you know, just the cutting is different from the two.
1: Yeah. And um I just I had a couple and they just I don't know. I need to do a better job and find like and I've done the, the touristy ones now. Next time I go up, I want to find like the real legit ones that are good and unique and different. I don't know. But and I like gyms on South Street. Okay. I think I've actually been there. Is that what the no. aluminum, the aluminum stuff, like second floor? Second floor? Yeah, it has a
2: second floor where you can sit up there um, and kind of look out over South Street. So that's usually where I take people. But I, yeah. I mean, I you think know, they have good stakes.
1: I think my first time, you call it stakes. Yeah. Yeah. So we watched a game at Misconduct Tavern uh, downtown, downtown once and then Founding Fathers Bar and Grill, which okay, is a kind yeah, of col- the kind of college, kind of 20s. Like a lot of villanova grads well that's the thing like when you asked me about where to go
2: it's like philadelphia is such a huge city and there's like yeah. different like sub parts of it you know yeah that's why it's real big on like if you're from philadelphia you say where you're from you know i grew up in the frankfurt neighborhood of philadelphia
1: you know um that's
2: you kind of just stay in within that neighborhood sort yeah. of thing
1: yeah and then so i mean that was awesome they won the 316 i would say where we stayed it was just like we had i take i had to take an uber to eat every for every meal we were on a uh, food desert where, we, stayed at, we stayed at we stayed in a hotel um it's like a Marriott. close to the
2: complexes
1: yeah but kind of across yeah. the highway Yeah, because
2: the complexes are in south philly and yeah so it's away from a lot of the different stuff okay. it's right off the highway which makes it nice when you're driving in
1: mm-hmm. you
2: drive out really easy
1: i've always liked that um so it was tough we just like to eat breakfast to get a smoothie you had to take a uber yeah. in the town and like we just there's no rest we couldn't pop out and walk around and getting food, but yeah. so that was kind of a hassle. But uh, it was great, man. They won those two games. Awesome game against UCLA. Uh, they beat St. Pete's, uh, St. Peter's, which is cool. And the New Orleans um, what was wild as well. And it was, it was. I always love Final Four runs. Um, it's so fun. So it was a good experience. And beating Duke in the championship game was awesome. And then uh, coming short against Kansas. But Final Fours are sweet, man. If you get a chance to go uh listeners out there it, it's really cool with all the four fan bases there and, and the run is so exciting like you know i didn't know i didn't i didn't think i was gonna be able to go to philly or going to uh, new orleans i went to both yeah i um i'm definitely
2: not a basketball fan but i was yeah. surprised that north carolina beat duke both times especially mm-hmm. with the whole coach k farewell sort of thing so we had a little get together on the the final four matchup um here um but uh yeah so had a lot of people rooting for duke there you go
1: okay well i gotta get out of here don uh, i right. hope you all enjoyed this podcast hope you enjoyed the interview with patrick uh suttis we'll catch you next time uh thanks to giant t-shirt johnny giant t-shirt, t-shirt.com please rate review and subscribe the chilling new original docuseries on paramount plus